Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Limitless Lives. Thanks once again to each and every one of you joining me on this journey of exploration, inspiration, and empowerment. In today's episode, we have the privilege of hosting a remarkable guest who is dedicated to transforming lives through the power of nutrition and well-being. Please join me in welcoming Francesca Lipriotti, a UK-registered nutritional therapist and women's health expert. With over 10 years of experience in this field, Francesca's passions lie in helping women over the age of 35 navigate the transformative phase of perimenopause, providing them with the understanding and support they need to achieve hormonal balance and unlock their full potential. Through her private practice, online programs, and corporate workshops, Francesca has empowered countless individuals to take control of their health and embrace limitless possibilities. So get ready for an enlightening conversation as Francesca shares her journey, insights on women's health, and the transformative impact of nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Francesca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for that wonderful um, introduction. And it's a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. So look, we're going to get straight into it. Francesca, can you share a little bit about your personal journey of how nutrition and lifestyle medicine transformed your own health? and inspired you to help others. Okay, yeah. So just to give you some background then, so you know when this all started. So I'm 44 now, just turned 44 last month. And this all, my journey began in my early 20s where I was just really unwell with nothing that anyone could actually identify medically. I had terrible gut issues, digestive issues, low energy, fatigue, frequent headaches, very low mood and depression, bad skin, bad hair, so I couldn't get it to grow past a, per- a certain point. My nails were weak and breaking. I had psoriasis patches kind of on my face. So it was really upsetting for someone at this point. I was sort of 21, 22. And all these kind of symptoms, you know, you don't expect for someone that young. So it was really frustrating. I had lots of different investigations done through my GP, referring me to various different hospital departments for scans and tests and all sorts of things. But nothing came up. Everything just came back normal every time. So that was really frustrating. And I was really upset by that. I just wasn't enjoying my day-to-day life at all. And I was essentially living on Pro Plus, which is basically, I don't even know if they make this anymore, but it's basically like a tablet form of like Red Bull. I was living on that, lots of sugar, refined carbohydrates, just to keep myself going throughout the day. Because at this point, I just started, left university at 21, and I just started a job working in the city in London for a broking firm. So that was full-time, kind of longish hours. And I was just using all this sugar and Pro Plus to keep myself going. At this point, I had no idea that there was any link between what you ate and how you felt. So there was no no part of me that thought, oh, maybe I could look at my diet and see if that would help me. I just carried on. And then when I was 23, I went um, traveling for a year with a friend around kind of Southeast Asia and the typical places, Australia. Um, and when I was in a hostel in Australia, this was at, in 2003, so there was no smartphones, no internet, nothing like that to keep you occupied when you weren't out and about seeing the world. So I was sitting in a hostel, I went to the little bookshelf, the shared bookshelf area, and I found a book called The Optimum Nutrition Bible by an island-based nutritionist called Patrick Holford. And I wasn't interested in any health stuff or nutrition stuff, I didn't know anything about that world. But I just read this book from cover to cover. I had nothing better to do. But reading that book just changed my life. It changed 
everything. From that moment, I started to, I, I realized there is a link between our lifestyle habits and our food and how we feel and our health, not just how we feel, but literally our, our kind of health as well. So when I then eventually came back to London six months later, I went to see a nutritional therapist, which again, before reading that book, I didn't know this kind of thing existed. And seeing this person, everything, all the kind of nutrition and lifestyle recommendations that she gave to me from having a thorough look at everything I was doing just changed my health. I wouldn't say overnight. Some things happened, felt like they were changing overnight, but it was a journey of about six to nine months overall. And my mood transformed, my gut health, my energy, my sleep, my skin, my hair, my nails, my periods, my menstrual cycles, everything improved. And it was essentially life-changing. And at this point, I was 24. So by the time I was 25, I was just so relieved, so happy that I had come across that book because I just, I don't know when I would have found this kind of help. And then that really inspired me to train as a nutritional therapist myself. So I studied at the Institute of Optimum, for Optimum Nutrition in London. I needed to get biology and chemistry A-levels. I hadn't had those from school, so I had to go back and do those. It took me a couple of years and it's five years in total of extensive training and I eventually qualified in 2013 and left my corporate career in 2015 and I've been doing nutritional therapy ever since. So that is how my kind of journey into this career began. What an amazing journey. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so fascinating that you mentioned how this book came to you and it helped you move on to this path of transformation. I'm a big believer that books have this way of coming to find us when we need it the most. Yeah, right? I agree. I've got the book on my bookshelf. Oh, awesome. And I, I see it all the time. I'm like, yep, you started this in 2003. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a great reminder of how far you've come and how far you'll continue to go. So, Francesca, from your perspective, could you provide an overview of the importance of our hormonal balance in women's health and how nutrition plays a role in achieving and maintaining that balance? Yeah, sure. So, Women's health, so our, our health overall is really is dictated by our hormone health. And I think a lot of us straight away when we think of women's health, if you know like the typical, the two main female hormones, you think of estrogen and progesterone. And I think a lot of us know that hormone balance, that term hormone balance, we're sort of referring to the female sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And it is true that, that they're their balance, the health of these hormones, the production of, of them and the balance of them in our body is really fundamental to our overall health, both now and our future health. But then we also have, there's something like, as well as those two, there's something like 64 hormones in the human body and they all have their own important roles. But for women from reproductive age, so basically when they start having periods as, as a teen, estrogen and progesterone play such a key role in, in health physically, mentally, and emotionally. And as I said, both now and later as well. And these two hormones, they're about so much more than just reproduction and having periods and, and menstrual cycles. We have, essentially, we have receptors on the cells and tissues of, of nearly all body systems for these hormones, which means that all of our, literally, probably all of our um, systems have the need for estrogen and progesterone in order for them to function properly. So particularly brain, heart, bone, the immune system, the nervous system, loads of all the various systems and the gut, they need progesterone, healthy levels of progesterone and estrogen to function properly. And then we also have the fact that progesterone and estrogen 
you know, optimal balance and production within the body plays such a, a key role in also other hormone balance like insulin, for example, which is a really, really important hormone and thyroid, you've probably heard of that as such an important hormone. So we have to kind of appreciate the importance of estrogen and progesterone as more than just something that regulates our menstrual cycle and causes women then to have a period at the end of every month and, and so on and or, you know, help us to to have fertility, for example, it's so much more than that. So for example, low levels of progesterone can start to change the brain and the nervous system and reduce our ability to cope with stress. And one of the biggest characteristics that we'll, we'll talk about more, I'm sure in a moment, of perimenopause is progesterone levels start to decline. That's like one of the first things that starts to happen as a woman moves into perimenopause. And that can be felt by way of increased anxiety, depression, memory issues, sleep issues, because progesterone is so important for all of those things. So, and then we have estrogen. We have receptors everywhere for estrogen, as I've just said, brain, skin, bones, heart. So much health-wise is impacted or regulated by estrogen levels. For example, as well, blood glucose regulation, blood sugar balance, insulin regulation, energy production, gut health, weight, mood, urinary functions and the genital area so much is impacted by levels of estrogen and low levels that we would for example have you know postmenopause can can affect all of these different parts of the body with brain heart and bone health being three major kind of health areas of health that estrogen would affect later on in life perimenopause is a transitional phase so from around age 35 the a woman's body is on a hormonal level, physiologically starting to shift. So I would liken it to when a woman starts period as a teen, right up until around age 35, we can kind of call that regular reproductive years. And after age, from sort of age 35 to achieving menopause, which could be 15 years later or less or more, that is a new phase. And this is still menstruating years, still reproductive years, but it's called perimenopause now. And it's essentially a very slow and gradual transition towards achieving menopause. So like I said, it, it's, you know, 15 or so years long. Symptoms don't necessarily start manifesting until kind of early 40s. For some women, they could start manifesting at 38. For some, you know, 40, 41. For me personally, it was 41 when I first started to notice some typical symptoms that I understood were of perimenopause. My very first symptom was sleep, changes to my ability to fall asleep and stay asleep and have a restorative sleep. So that was the first thing for me, just as an example. But what perimenopause is characterized by in terms of estrogen and progesterone is as we move into that phase, first of all, progesterone levels can start to decline. And the other characteristic is estrogen rather than a gentle ebb and flow, which is what estrogen does all month long in a woman's body, that gentle ebb and flow turns into a roller coaster. So it's like really high, it can be really high one minute and really, really low the next minute. And also at the earlier stages of perimenopause, so earlier 40s, levels of estrogen can rise to three times higher than they've ever been in a woman's life, which can create various symptoms like heavy periods, painful periods, horrible mood issues like rage even in some women, headaches, growth of fibroids and tender breasts. So those are the kind of characteristics of 
estrogen levels getting really high. And that would usually just last for the kind of earlier phase of perimenopause. And at the same time, estrogen is also rollercoastering, which means one minute it can be high levels and the next minute it can shunt really low. And symptoms of low estrogen are things like uh, migraines, anxiety, sleep issues, less resilience to stressors, hot flushes. So all of this can happen on the same day. So you could have a really kind of like high estrogen symptoms in, in one day and low estrogen symptoms in one day. So it's very typical for, very common for women in their early 40s to start experiencing some hot flushes from time to time and think, oh my goodness, am I going into menopause early because hot flushes is a typical menopause symptom? But no, not at all. Menopause is likely still 15, you know, 12 years away, 10 years away. But these are just symptoms of this rollercoastering nature of estrogen that wasn't happening in earlier 30s and 20s. Um, so low levels of progesterone is the reason for that is because we, a woman only makes progesterone once every month, midway through her cycle, as a result of having ovulated. And ovulation is much easier to achieve in 20s and earlier 30s. As we move into perimenopause, ovulation becomes harder to achieve. It doesn't mean it's impossible. We are still fertile until menopause. It just means we have more months without ovulating and ovulation leads to the production of, of progesterone. So I hope that kind of makes sense as to why those levels start to decline. But the really good news is that our nutrition and lifestyle, particularly lifestyle, I would say, but nutrition as well, of course, what we are habits make a huge difference to, for example, our ability to ovulate. So if we intervene with good nutrition and lifestyle habits, we can support our body to ovulate more months than it would have if we didn't intervene. And nutrition, those same nutrition and lifestyle habits can also help to tame the roller coaster of estrogen. So we're still having the same perimenopause experience, but it's just we're really managing to minimize the symptoms because we can get ourselves to make more progesterone than we would have if we didn't intervene. And we can tame that roller coaster. So those horrible highs and lows symptoms of estrogen aren't as impactful as they would be if we just didn't intervene. So that's what's really, really powerful. And that's what I, about nutrition and lifestyle habits. And that's why I'm so passionate about supporting women in the perimenopause phase in my practice, because I have those, those nutrition and lifestyle tools are so, so important and impactful on a person's experience. We can also touch on the kind of importance of estrogen and progesterone for health as well. Absolutely, please. I think it'd be really helpful to dive into that a little bit more and get your perspective. Yeah. So for example, I mentioned earlier um, that progesterone is really important for supporting the brain. So, you know, when I say brain, we're talking about cognition, we're talking about memory, we're talking about mood, focus, um, productivity. And we're also talking about future health of the brain. You know, if we're, we think we've got receptors on the cells, on, on our brain cells for progesterone and estrogen. It just goes to show how important those hormones are for the health of our brain cells. So the more, you know, production of progesterone we, we manage to achieve and the healthier our estrogen levels are for as long as possible, right up to ideally up to menopause, the more kind of we're adding to that health, that kind of brain health bank balance for later, you know, for our 70s, for our 80s even. And 
the same, there's other things that are so important, like, as I mentioned, heart health, but even things like metabolic health. So insulin resistance becomes one of the biggest issues in a woman's 40s and especially late 40s, closer to menopause, because the hormone estrogen is really important for supporting our regulation of the hormone insulin and keeping our cells what's known as insulin sensitive, which is a very good thing, which means that we are more capable of getting, shifting glucose that we break down from eating food into our body and brain cells to be used as energy. The opposite of that is insulin resistance, which means the cells in our body and brain become resistant to the action of insulin and they no longer efficiently take in glucose from the bloodstream. And that can lead to things like brain fog in the moment where we're just not getting that glucose, that fuel into our brain. But also it can, the situation of insulin resistance increases the risk of type 2 diabetes and that particularly weight gain around the middle, which is a really big, you know, it's a huge bugbear for women in their 40s. They'll say, I've been, I haven't changed anything. I haven't changed how I eat. I haven't changed how I exercise. And suddenly I'm gaining all this weight around the middle. And it's because of these, the, the decline in estrogen, essentially, that's creating this, this situation of insulin resistance. And again, if we intervene with our nutrition and lifestyle habits, we can counteract that. So that's what's really important. And then obviously, if we don't address, if insulin resistance goes unaddressed, and that does turn into type 2 diabetes, then that also increases risk of, you know, heart disease later in life. So it's a really important time for a woman to understand what's going on with her hormones and intervene, just make, it's an opportunity, it's a window of opportunity to start making some simple nutrition and lifestyle changes that can support all of this. And so the biggest thing I see or hear, whether it's with my clients or friends or just hearing people talking, is they usually think stuff that they would need to do to support all of this would be so complex, so hard, so big, that they just don't know where to start because they're so, so they're so overwhelmed, they don't know where to start. And they also think, I don't want to start because I don't want to make all these horrible changes and not enjoy my life. But th- that's kind of one of the biggest myths I kind of didn't mention earlier is that even just one really small change to the way you eat, and I would say that one thing as an example, if you just went away and started increasing your protein with every meal you made sure you got 30 to 40 grams of protein with three meals a day. If that's all you did, you would start to notice within two weeks or even a week, big benefits to how you feel. Another example would be if you just went away and started addressing your sleep, for example, and if you're somebody who, this is a whole other podcast episode in itself, but if you're somebody who, for example, spends all evening watching TV, bright lights on until midnight, and you're someone who's also starting to notice sleep issues in your 40s, if you change those, like, those evening habits to having a good hour before you go to bed in sort of darkness, dim lights, not watching TV, maybe reading a book or doing some kind of meditative practice, you would transform eventually or even instantly your sleep. And then the knock-on impact that that would have on everything else. So it doesn't always have to be these elaborate plans sometimes just one or two things just go so far and then you can build on that. I love that. I love the phrase you used of it's a, a window of opportunity, right? Mm, it it's, really exactly, is. it's exactly that, isn't it? I think we get so caught up in 
the fear of change or the uncertainty of it all. We don't know where to start. You get overwhelmed. You you do. You absolutely do get overwhelmed. So what ends up happening? You just do nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know where to start. You don't know who to turn to. You just don't do anything. Carry on as normal and make excuses that they're not, you know, they're not, it's not to, everybody does it, but we make these excuses, you know, oh, now's the wrong time. I'll wait until I'm less busy. I'll wait until I'm not so stressed. And that will never happen. You were saying earlier on that you weren't really given any guidance around what to eat, what you're putting into your body, and no one was picking up on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You talked about like kind of three main areas of harmony, right? Brain, uh, bone health, and and heart. Mm. So what are some of the misconceptions you think that are out there? Because people are saying, oh, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm working out. I'm eating the right foods. But things just don't seem to be changing. I'm feeling internally like there's this imbalance. And you touched on gut and gut health earlier. I'd love to hear your perspective on gut health and how important that is in addressing overall well-being and balance. I mean, there's just so much that goes into every person is so different. And we all we are all so, so, so unique. So what is needed for one person to be healthy can be very different to the next person. And it could be, for example, that one person may have some gut imbalances, some digestive health issues that would be impacting their health in various ways, even though they're saying, oh, I'm eating well, I'm exercising well, I'm doing all the right things. Why do I not? feel great or whatever could be wrong with them and for another person it could be that they think they're eating really well and they're doing all the right things but there's so much information out there about how we should be eating and how we should be living our lives that maybe what advice we're taking isn't actually right for us as an individual and therefore this so-called healthy way of living or eating isn't actually working for that person um so I kind of answered part of the question but in terms of gut health there is if it is a gut say for example it doesn't always you know start in the gut but it it can do it's a very very foundational part of health we can be doing all the right things but if we have imbalances in our gut and our digestive system as a whole it may you know not be enough and we may need to go to the gut and really have a deep dive into what's going on in there but when it comes to gut health there's really three kind of key areas that that need to be looked at, addressed. And it could be someone has to work on all three or they might just have one part of it or two parts of it. But you've got, first one is basically the mechanics of digestion. So that's like the digestive process of foods, which essentially starts in the brain at the sight and smell of our food. Then we chew. So the chewing process is a big part of it. And then when our food reaches the gut, the stomach, it needs to be met with, for example, stomach acid, also known as hydrochloric acid. And then later on in the process, the pancreas releases digestive enzymes into the stomach to further break down our food. So if that is for some people, because it's like a mechanical process, that isn't working optimally in some people, which is very common, especially in our modern world where we don't chew very well. We don't see and smell our food before we eat it. We just hoover it down on the go um, and we might have issues releasing stomach acid or enzymes for whatever reason, stress is a big one, then that is going to cause issues in your ability to break down your food. And if we then, if that goes unchecked, 
for a period of time that then starts to create imbalances in the other two areas. So the other two areas being what's known as the microbiome. So that's the collection of bacteria that lives in the gut. If that becomes unbalanced or overgrown with, for example, yeast or some parasites or harmful bacteria, that can create symptoms and issues. And if left unchecked, that can go on to, you know, just, just become more and more of an issue. The third area of gut health is the actual lining of the gut. So that needs to be healthy. It needs to be strong. The cells of that lining need to be very tightly packed together so that it keeps toxins, undigested food particles, and other kind of bacteria that should just remain in the gut. It keeps it in there because it's a really strong layer. The opposite of that is when that layer becomes weakened, also known as something called leaky gut, which is when that that layer does get weaker and develops some holes, if you like. And that then starts to allow various substances and particles to leave the gut and go into the bloodstream. And that causes the immune system to see these things in the bloodstream that shouldn't be there and just think, oh, what's this? And it starts to react. And that causes immune responses that eventually, if that goes unchecked, can impact immune health later down the line. That leaky gut sort of situation, it's also known as gut permeability, is a big factor in, for example, autoimmune diseases or just chronic inflammation in people. So yeah, if any of those areas are not working properly or, you know, then People can be going through life thinking, I'm doing all the right things. Why, why, why? But they're not getting, you know, if they're not getting to to that, then that could be something that's holding them back. But it isn't always, you know, for everybody. But yes, the gut is a huge place to start. And it's just so foundational and would have like a knock on impact on hormone production, communication and balance as well. And that's that's really helpful to get that science lens and and recognizing we're all unique individuals. So. What may work for one person may not work for another. And that got me thinking just about the countless number of people you're helping. What are some of the common misconceptions or myths about women's health and nutrition that you often encounter? And how do you then go about addressing them within your practice? Yeah, so there are obviously so many misconceptions and myths. There's so much information out there now. Instagram, online, there's just so much coming at us from all angles and people trying to sell things. So, you know, it's very, very easy to just listen to things and think, yep, that, that's the one, that's what I'll be doing because so-and-so said that. But the most common ones today are, for example, that being vegan or p- plant-based is best for hormone health. That is one of the biggest myths that we need to be low fat. I think, you know, this started in the 80s and I think more and more people are aware now that fat is good for us. It's not so much of a problem, but a lot of people are still very much on that low fat journey. Another myth would be certain types of exercises are best for hormone health. You know, there's, there's just so much out there, but I'd probably say the biggest one that I deal with, not so much in my practice, because by the time people come to me, they tend to already be aware of this, but it's more sort of outside of that is that, that vegan is, is healthier for health in general, but definitely for hormone health. With all that in mind, how do you then go about guiding your clients to empower them, especially during this transformative phase of perimenopause? Yeah, so I like to educate and really just give them the knowledge and explain the mechanics rather than just tell them, oh no, don't do that, do this. You know, here's a, here's a diet plan or here's just a list of things to do. 
I sit with them and that's what I do as part of my practice is, is educating them. You know, we sit, I work online, so we sit face to face on Zoom and I explain the mechanics as to why this is why I'm saying this to really empower them to understand, oh, okay. And then they see the link, they join the dots and that empowers them to make the changes or not do something or do something because they can actually see, they understand the bio, the biology, the physiology of it. This is why this thing would you know, be causing you to feel X, Y, or Z and, and how we can start to improve it. And then from there, that just really empowers them to do the things that, that would be helpful for them. And I get them to start with one thing, you know, one habit, see how they feel, the impact that that has. And they, they sort of see that in real time. And then they're like, right, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Rather than throwing a whole load of things at once. And we don't know what was the one that, you know, that way they can't really see what was the most helpful thing and it's just being kind of down to earth with people and empathetic and understanding that you know if somebody comes to me with a really strong view on something that they have never contested it's not you know just not having that I'm, I'm kind of not having that dogmatic approach with them like just being empathetic as to where that belief came from and trying to help them see see it differently it also sounds like mindset is an integral piece to this how do you tie in mindset then with creating the balance between nutrition and overall well-being? For example, embracing the beauty of this life transition and phase from a limitless perspective instead of it being perceived as a limitation in this part of life for women. Yeah, exactly. And that's such a great point because whilst there are definitely health issues and challenges that can kind of be either magnified or triggered let's say as a woman moves into perimenopause which is from around age 35 we can also like once we understand what's going on on a kind of physiological level we then can and we obviously want to learn from there how to support the body with the changes that are occurring in perimenopause we don't have to see it as this dread literally dreadful time where everything's going to go wrong we're going to start feeling like this and you know, it's just all downhill from here. We can see it as, okay, this is a really empowering time of my life. It's a transformative time. It's a transitional phase because perimenopause is a, is a very transitional phase. It's moving the body from regular reproductive years, taking it on a gradual journey to achieving menopause. So when we go, when we've gone 12, four months without having a period around it's kind of anywhere, the average age is 51, but it could be give or take a few years either side. Once we get to that point, we're then in the phase of postmenopause. So perimenopause is a very transitional phase. Yes, things can start to occur, various symptoms and health issues. But like I said, if we know what those things are, we know how to support it and really minimize those things, we can see this as an opportunity to really start to look at our, our lives at that point. Like I've, I've never felt more empowered and inspired at the age of 44 you know you'd think oh I mean people you kind of when, when we were in our 20s I used to think you know somebody's 44 is so old and now I'm like I've never felt more sure of myself more empowered and just like right if I want to change something I'm going to change it and I'm really spend a lot of time looking at my life so looking at areas of your life like relationships how you're living your home all of these different things your work Am I happy? Do I love this? Am I, you know, has, has, that, has this kind of come to an end now? Or, you know, whatever it might be, we can just see this as a, 
transformative phase where we get a chance to look at everything, look at our diet, look at our lifestyle, look at our relationships, look at our career, look at our sleep, whatever it is, and, and say, right, this is the time to start making changes, shake things up and just see it as the most transformative phase and taking us into that other phase of, of menopause, which is a whole new era in itself. So what do you think, Francesca, is stopping people from just taking a pause and just looking at themselves and what they want out of life and helping them reach that balance within, right? Because yeah. whatever's happening externally clearly has an effect on what's happening within your body. And I'm sure you come across that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that in terms of those challenges and overcoming those obstacles. Yeah. And I think so many people are out of touch with looking at instead of because there's just so much coming at us so much information coming at us from all angles all of the time I think we've lost sight it's really easy to lose sight of where you are in your life what you might need how things might need to change things might need to be done differently maybe that you know one size fits all advice that we're seeing on Instagram from an influencer or a certain health you know so-called guru doesn't work for me. Maybe I need, maybe I'm in a different phase of my life. Maybe I need to look at things differently. Maybe I need to reassess, you know, how I'm doing things and seek somebody out that, that might be able to help me with that. Or I think we're just so sort of just switched on all the time and we're taken away from our, you know, in our internal selves. There's just so much going on all the time and so much information coming at us that I just think it doesn't give people that opportunity to just pause and really kind of think, you know, what is it I might need to do and where yeah. can I sort of find that personalized help? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's fascinating. I think about some of those life choices that I've made, especially from a dietary perspective in my twenties, we were eating everything under the sun and mm -hmm. we'd be like, oh, it's okay. I'm young. And yeah. I don't think people or even myself realized as you get older, what you put into your body 10, 15 years ago actually is starting to have effects later on in your life. And yeah. um, that's, that's what's fascinating. I, I sit with friends sometimes and they're like, you know, I've got the, these certain health issues and I'm eating all the right things. But then they talk about what they've been doing for the past 10 years in, in that space. Right. And they don't realize how that's affecting their internal hormonal balance, their gut and all sorts of things. So it, it's, it's a learning curve. And there's a lot of people who, as you said, they'll say, I'm eating all the right things. But again, it's, is that the right thing for you? And is it the right thing? Or is it just what you have perceived over time? And, you know, what society has told you is the right thing. And maybe it isn't for you. I mean, the good news is if we start making changes to nutrition and lifestyle habits at any age, we can start to see improvements and feel those improvements and and protect our future health but it's kind of going back to your point about how people have been doing things for previous 10-15 years it could be that I get lots of women for example that come to me and they're maybe 45 and they're saying I've been eating like this my whole life I've always managed my weight and I've always felt fine why is it suddenly now I'm experiencing these gut issues for example or hormonal issues and it could be that over time those things that you were doing in the past have led to, for example, gut and digestive imbalances that are now rearing, now, those symptoms and the effects of that are now starting to manifest. They were always working, you know, they were always there working in the background, but they weren't 
enough to create symptoms. Now, at this point, because you've been doing it for longer, they're starting to create symptoms. So, you know, that's when I'll say, just because you've been doing this for so long and it was okay, you weren't having any symptoms, doesn't mean it was always the right thing to be doing. And now you do need to change things because this imbalance has grown and grown and now started to manifest as the symptoms that they're experiencing. And that's helping them step on the right journey and hopefully helping them move to where they need to, to get to. So I appreciate you sharing that. You talked about uh, the transitional phase of uh, perimenopause and overall well-being. What advice would you give to those that are actually a part of that journey too, whether it's a partner, a family member or friend? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think the most important thing is that they want to learn and take an interest in what could be going on for that person. So if we just sort of use a simple example of it's a, a, a woman going through perimenopause and it's a long transitional phase, as we said, it starts around 35. Symptoms can evolve and fluctuate and chop and change from anywhere from age, say, 38 up until achieving menopause, which could be, let's say, 51, for example, for one person. So that's a long time, but hormones are doing, estrogen and progesterone are behaving differently all the time throughout this phase. So for example, first of all, if the woman can understand physiologically what's going on, and then the people around them can also learn as well, maybe learn from her or do their own research. And then if they can understand what's happening, they'll be more likely to be more accepting, for example, of certain behaviors or or, or symptoms or changes that are that this person is experiencing and be more empathetic towards them and also just more understanding of it. So for example, I really educated my partner about probably three or four years ago, I really just sat him down and explained what happens during perimenopause. I sort of explained all of that to him and said examples, you know, sometimes if my hormones are at this point today in one day or any given moment, it can make me feel, it can make me snap or it can just make me lose a word or kind of just lose, like get what, you know, the typical symptoms of brain fog, for example, or make me feel emotional or make me feel really fatigued and, and or antisocial, like all of these random symptoms that can come up because of these fluctuate, the way that the hormones are behaving during perimenopause. And once he understood that, and because he was so open to learn that, he found it really helpful to be able to be more understanding about me. And this was actually just a phase that I was going through around age 40s, about four years ago, where I was just finding it really hard to just feel balanced on any given day. And I just really wanted him to understand. And once he understood, it just changed, you know, it really helped me to know, gave me the relief to know that he understood. And he was relieved because he didn't have to like walk on eggshells anymore. He was just like, okay, I understand what's going on. Like, do you need a hug or whatever it might be? And that was really transformative. And I just constantly educate him. And obviously I've got the advantage that I do this for a living. So I will understand more than someone who isn't doing this for a living. So I can educate him more than someone else could. But I would say that's the most important thing is both of you wanting to understand and appreciating that perimenopause is a very different phase and we do need to understand what's going on. 
not just you, but everybody around you as well, just so they can help you. And another thing as well, at 41, I decided, no, sorry, at 40, I decided to stop drinking alcohol. I just did not want to, to drink it anymore, but I wanted support in it. You know, I didn't want to be felt, to be made to feel like, you know, oh, I'm having a drink and I, I, I wish you would too. And, and I just explained to him why, you know, I explained to him the physiology behind alcohol and the way my hormones are in, in perimenopause. And from that moment, he's like, right, yeah, you, you need to stop and I'm going to help you. Like, I'm going to be supportive. I'm not going to make you feel bad if I'm having a drink and you're not, because that, that can sometimes happen in, in relationships if one person doesn't want to drink and the other one does. So just little things like that, having empathy, just being really supportive and just wanting to learn, wanting to understand. Having that willingness to understand, showing empathy, to be able to offer the right support is so important. What are some valuable tips or advice you would give to women who are looking to optimize their health and well-being through nutrition, particularly during the phase of perimenopause and to help them live a limitless life? I would definitely want to say, keep it simple, start small, but first of all, embrace the changes understand it you know find people who are talking talking this sort of sense about it and really really helping to explain exactly what's happening physi physiologically obviously starting with this podcast hopefully it made sense how I explained things and then really start with I would say start with looking at your lifestyle is there anything that you need to reassess like you know a loveless relationship a dysfunctional relationship you're not happy in your job You've been in this career for years and never really thought, is this what I want? Is this me? Maybe it's time to, again, use this as a window of opportunity to reassess things. And kind of, for me, I've never cared less than I do now about, let's say, you know, what people think. We kind of go through life really just people pleasing, essentially, especially in our younger years, just doing what we think we should be doing um, to please whoever it might be. And now is that time to say, what do I want? How do I want to be living? Is that right for me? Am I just saying yes to that because I don't want to say no and, you know, hurt someone's feelings, even though you probably wouldn't hurt their feelings. And instead you're hurting your, yourself. I would look at lifestyle and look at your schedule. Are you just really busy all the time? Do you need to maybe again reassess that and have more space and time for yourself because even just being really busy socially is can be quite stressful mm -hmm. and I know for you know for me it is and it I've had to reassess the way I socialize and how often and things like that because it became a stressor so just reassessing those things and looking at your sleep is this something you know yeah fine in my 20s earlier 30s even later 30s staying up watching tv till midnight or 11 o'clock was fine I just still fell asleep as soon as my head hit the pillow and woke up in the morning and now that's not the case that's because potentially as the change in your hormones that I mentioned are going to cause you to, to not be able to achieve sleep so easily after those habits so now it's like reassess what can I do differently to support you know a better night's sleep just because it was working for the last 15 years doesn't mean it can still work now when things are so different physiologically. Alcohol as well. It's not to say that people shouldn't drink or they can't drink. But just again, the amount of alcohol that maybe you indulged in for the last 15 years was okay. But now with your hormones being different, it's just not being as kind to you, you know, as it was before. And just really sort of reassessing these things 
as a first starting point. And then obviously we can get into some key nutrition points. You've covered so much ground today. Amazing insights. I've learned so much along the way. I hope our listeners have too. And it's also made me feel more empowered to support the women in my life too. So I, I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. But before you do leave, there's one question I always like to ask my guests that come on the show is, if there was one thing that you could share to help people truly live a life without limits, what would that be? Gosh, I think as much as, you know, I am a nutritionist and that is, it's food first. It's, you know, that is such a fundamental piece. But in the perimenopause phase and all the kind of work that I've done, what it always comes back to is lifestyle and stress. So that would definitely have to be, if there was only one thing I could pick is look at your lifestyle, look at the stress that you have in your life. We can't get rid of it. But how can you live your life more for you? Because I do think that's what so many, especially particularly women, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to everybody because it probably, you know, it does, especially of a certain age group. But particularly women in their 40s, they're usually living their life for others, doing things to please others. And they've completely lost sight of who they are, what, not, not necessarily who they are, but they've lost sight of what they need what they want. And that is the one thing I think I would start with is, have you lost sight of that? Do you give yourself the things that you need, the things that you want? Is there anything that, you know, needs to be changed to make that happen? I love that. It's a great way to kind of uh, reflect and think about, you know, what changes people do want to make in their lives. So Francesca, thank you so much once again for joining me on Limitless Lives. I would love to kind of delve into some of these topics a little bit more. Um, perhaps on, a, on another episode, but thank you so much for your time. Truly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks once again for everyone tuning in to this episode of Limitless Lives. Mm-hmm.